Today's going to be a lot of fun. John Annan, historic night for the UFC. Edwards over Usman. Uh, I'm going to start with the latest news. Kevin Durant apparently is now cool the Nets, and they're all going to run it back and play basketball this season. And a new thing that we have regarding the worst takes for college football, the NFL, and maybe even a little basketball and life advice. Enjoy. It's the Ryan Russillo podcast presented by FanDuel. The road to the NBA Finals starts now, and FanDuel is the best place to get in on the action. Right now, you can check out the new and improved Quick Bets, which are back and better than ever for the NBA playoffs and FanDuel. Find what you're looking for faster and easier with more props right at your fingertips. You can check out live bets like three-minute markets and exclusive live bets like quarter player props, player assist combos, and more. So download the app today and bet with FanDuel, official partner of the NBA. The Ringer is committed to responsible gaming, so please visit rg-help.com to learn more about the resources and helplines available and listen to the end of the episode for additional details. Must be 21 and older. 18 plus in D.C. and present in select states. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or visit rg-help.com. This episode is brought to you by Hulu Plus Live TV. Looking for a better way to watch live TV? Stream your favorite sports and shows on over 95 live channels with Hulu Plus Live TV. Get access to Hulu's entire streaming library, Disney Plus and ESPN Plus, all in one plan. Start your free trial of Hulu Plus Live TV today. Live TV plan required. Restrictions apply. Access content from each service separately. Learn more at Hulu.com. Breaking news right before the show gets ready to tape today. Apparently, Kevin Durant has worked it out with the Nets, and he's going to come back, and he's going to play basketball. All right, so what does this mean? All right, a release statement from the Nets, um, and also General Manager Sean Marks. It says, Steve Nash and I, together with Joe Sy, Claire Wusai, met with Kevin Durant and Rich Kleiman in Los Angeles yesterday. We've agreed to move forward with our partnership. We are focusing on basketball with one collective goal in mind, build a lasting franchise to bring a championship to Brooklyn. Uh, funny enough, in that statement, there's a Nets logo, and there's also a boardroom logo, which is the Kleiman Durant um, production. I, I That part, I'm like, wait, you can't throw that logo into the statement as well i don't know i mean who gives a shit all right top line good news for the nets right good news for nets fans durant's gonna come back and play i I guess this is good news for everybody you know i don't know if durant this is the part of it where i'm like okay i know what it is on paper but i gotta see it for a little while before i buy into the nets um because could there be any lingering stuff still going on we're talking about all this all these different characters. Yeah. I mean, I don't think that's a, that's a massive assumption that maybe this thing gets derailed again with the people involved in all this. But, you know, I imagine the Nets said, we don't want to trade you for some of these pieces. So what do you want to do here? I guess Durant decides after demanding a trade at the beginning of the free agency, two weeks ago, demanding that Marks and Nash are fired. What does he say? Like, all right, here's the deal. I'll come back, throw the boardroom logo on the press release and we're good. Because that's where we're at. But Durant was always in an interesting spot here because he had four years left on the deal, which was which is new territory. Now, Ben Simmons, as I mentioned a year before, like, hey, look, Simmons can want out, but usually it's a year and a half left when you start to pull this stuff going, you better get something for me because I'm not re-signing here. Um, and then the other fear that teams always have, and they will tell me this repeatedly, is that when you have the player that's demanding the trade with time left on his contract, you can sit there and say that you have the leverage because you have the contract and there's still multiple years left like this Nets scenario. But if the player really doesn't want to be there, he can just fake an injury and get that second opinion 
you know, you can find something. Hey, the knee's a little banged up. There's an ankle. There's a shoulder problem. Now there's something going on with my back. Like these are pro athletes. You can usually find something wrong and you can usually get that second opinion. And that way the player's not necessarily even doing anything wrong other than saying, I don't trust your health people. I'm not going to play. And then you're stuck there paying somebody max money that doesn't want to go ahead and play. Uh, the difference with Ben Simmons is that I remember talking to some people about it was like, nah, Simmons wouldn't do that. Like he's healthy. He's good to go. But then he went with a mental health approach, uh, which he got a lot of sympathy for. I had less and less, especially uh, when he didn't even want to play with the Nets. And then he filed the grievance that most all of us knew was coming at some point to recoup some of that money back from the Sixers that they withheld when he didn't want to play. So the difference there is the Nets still want Durant. Durant is the better basketball player. Uh, Durant's issues are more about hurt feelings than I think a, a completely different mental approach to the game of basketball that makes you worry about him as a player. And I think those concerns are there for Simmons because you're still like, what is this guy actually going to be? And Philly didn't want him to be there. They just wanted to try to figure out some sort of asset exchange at some point once they knew it was untenable. I always kind of thought with Durant that... <laughs> you know, it's, it's a dangerous game to sit here and start calling a star player's bluff. The history is not great. It doesn't really happen. I have one that I'm going to bring up here, but it doesn't really happen that often. The player usually always gets his way. But with Durant and having the four years left and knowing the trade market was a little bit more complicated because Durant wasn't going to want to just go anywhere, even if he had four years left. If you're another team that he didn't like, uh, that says, well, we get his four-year contract. Well, now you're just inheriting the Nets problem. Maybe he plays for a year and then he decides he wants out of there too. So that limited the market. Um, the Boston deal, I thought, at least was strong because there was one piece in Jalen Brown that was better than a lot of the other pieces. Uh, it sounds like Scotty Barnes was never officially involved in Toronto part of this. Maybe if they drag this out longer and longer, Toronto says, that's screwed. It's Kevin Durant. Let's go ahead and do it. But it's August, so I guess we're not going to get to that point. The Phoenix deal around Mikhail Bridges. Bridges isn't Jalen Brown. You know, he's a nice player. I like a lot of things about Bridges, but, you know, to have him be the focal piece of whatever, you know, the, the number one piece coming back is like, could Bridges be a two on a really good basketball team? You know, I'm not sure about that. I could be wrong, but I don't know that another team's super excited about it. And then the Miami stuff never made any sense to me. I need somebody, I'd say smarter, um, but I probably don't really believe that when it comes to the trade stuff. I need somebody to explain to me why was Miami ever an op like an option here? Like what piece did they have? You need to tell me Tyler Hero. Hmm, nice player. But uh that one never really made a ton of sense. It didn't. And then of course they had the the same problems that if it were a BAM deal, if BAM actually were going to be included at some point, which would change change everything. Now, if you're talking BAM, that's different, but then we have that rookie extension rule that um, you can't have the same two players on, which is all part of uh, the CBA and trying to limit some of this movement all over the place, some of the sign-and-trade things that happened the extra year. There were these little mechanisms that they tweaked a bit to try to slow down some of the star player movement. As we know, that's not really happening. So the Nets have Durant. Um, the rare team that pushed back on their star demanding a trade which is what we have right here with the Nets. Like they didn't give in. They didn't just trade him for anybody. They didn't say, oh, I guess we're screwed. They pushed back and it looks like they've got the win here. It's a long-term win. I don't know. We'll get to that. But the Lakers did it in 2007 with Kobe. Kobe was on the warpath that summer. I remember because I was at Orlando for the pre-draft camp, the old Milk Center, when they switched it from Chicago to Orlando and then everybody in the NBA is like, can we go back to Chicago? Uh, they did do that. I remember being at a stoplight, window down, another guy in the front office. Hey, man, what's up? You know, I was only a couple years at ESPN. Need nods. And he's just like, Kobe, man. <laughs> he's like, here we go. 
And I'm thinking like, yeah, yeah. Uh, he, I mean, he went, he was so pissed off. He's like, I want to go to Chicago. He went on with Stephen A. I think it was Stephen A was local radio in New York. And Stephen A was like, is there anything that can be done to prevent this from happening? And Kobe said, quote, no, bro. And then it changed where it was like, maybe he's going to be okay with coming back. He was, Kobe was changing his mind and he was doing it with such passion. It was weird. There would be this moment where it was like, he'll never play for the Lakers again. You're like, all right. And then it was, well, wait a minute. The Lakers are working on this thing. Like, nope, he's, he's gone again. He just went on somewhere else. Like he was going on all these shows and it was still new. I mean, it's 15 years ago. So this wasn't happening even close to the frequency that we have today with the top guys. And the Lakers just didn't want to trade him. Apparently, there was maybe one deal to Detroit. Something could have happened with Rip Hamilton and some picks. But back then, they didn't trade a 1,000 picks with every star guy. So it was a different marketplace back then. Um, and then Kobe said that it was true, potentially. So I don't know if that meant the Lakers had something that they liked with Detroit and they would have done it. But Kobe was like, I'm not going to Detroit. Detroit's a no. So there's always some legend about that. And then he wanted to go to Chicago. But the funny thing that Kobe wanted with Chicago was that he was like, don't trade any good players for me because I don't want the team to suck when I show up. <laughs> We're like, well, wait, you want out of here, but you also don't want anyone good to be traded for you. So the Bulls are already really good because Kobe didn't want to go to some rebuilding thing. But, you know, back then you actually traded good players for the for the other good player if these trades even happened and they didn't happen to this. So this was a really, really big deal. Then Greg Anthony, of all people, had um, an addition to the ESPN story that I was reading again from 07, where it was basically stated that Greg Anthony talked to Kobe and Kobe was like, I'll come back, but only the Lakers tell me or get rid of the person who was the leak involved in the leak saying that I'm the reason that Shaq isn't here anymore. And depending on what you believe on all the history that we've read about this stuff, you know, the Kobe Shaq thing was a mess. Um, Shaq wanted another $100 million extension from Dr. Buss. Dr. Buss wasn't sure that it was a great bet because Shaq hadn't really put in the effort to maintain his body. Kobe was super pissed about the dynamic of I do all this work and he can't do this work, which Kobe was right about. Um, but that breakup had a million different reasons. And to say it was singularly just about Kobe's relationship with Shaq, I don't think is entirely accurate because Shaq also wanted to get paid. And guess what? When Shaq got traded to the Miami Heat, he ended up getting that big extension and it worked out for Miami. So then he doesn't get traded. He just doesn't because the Lakers didn't want to trade Kobe Bryant and it ended up being the greatest thing for the Lakers and it ended up being a great thing for Kobe Bryant. Now, does that mean this is going to happen here with the Nets? I don't know that because that's what I think happens when we have these big moments is it's like, okay, well, now what does this mean? Does this mean we're going to have some sort of pivot with NBA power structures where the next star that asks out, the team will say, hey, look what happened with Durant. They just, they just held out and he came back and played and it all worked out. I think that's when you make the mistakes. I don't know that it's going to be this massive pivot. I respect the Nets for not giving in to a trade that they didn't want to give into. Um, you know, the other part of this too was is that it's been a disaster for this entire Nets experiment. I've heard plenty of people say, "Well, teams will have second thoughts about how they'll want to build out their team," and they'll look at the Nets saying, "Maybe don't hand the keys over to these guys." No, that's not going to happen. Every single team that would have a chance to bring in Kyrie to get Durant would do it, and they'll do it again. So I don't believe that. 
Uh, but I'm more open-minded about could we have more teams calling, calling. Uh, I shouldn't say call the bluff, but just stand strong and deny the player his request. That's at least what you have here. And the Sean Marks part of it and Durant wanting him fired, I'm sure Marks in a private moment with his buddies is like, fuck that guy. I don't know that. But I think it's probably a pretty good guess. But you're a GM. You know, you know, it's not like he's passing the ball to you. And I, I don't know where Steve Nash's head would be with this whole thing. Like sometimes we could sit there and say, oh, he's got the perfect demeanor. He's really easygoing. He's fine. I don't know, man. The guy just wanted him fired. And now you're going to come back and coach him? Um, but that probably won't really matter because if Kyrie is engaged, Simmons is engaged, and Durant is Durant, and the rest of the pieces are relatively healthy, and the other things they've had, this is a really good basketball team. So it's better for the Nets today than any other version of this. Um, so that's the good news. But as far as who they are as a team, I'm just going to have to see a little basketball from this group before I'm ready to buy all in. Kick off week one with FanDuel, America's number one sportsbook. Join today and get started with $150 in free bets guaranteed when you place your first $5 bet. Just sign up with the promo code RYAN, R-Y-E-N. That's going to be the promo code. Please use it. Let FanDuel know that you're listening. To get in on the action, and then you can turn game day into payday all season long. All right, so $150 in free bets. Let's see here. Season awards. Uh, Coach of the year, Kevin O'Connell, plus $1,600. Hmm, interesting. Um, they've got comeback player of the year here. Chase Young, plus $1,400, maybe. Michael Thomas, plus $1,600. I know because he's already put up stats and everything. I don't know. Good luck with that guy. Let's give out a win total. Let's throw $150 on one of these win totals. Eagles are nine and a half. Giants seven and a half. Jets five and a half. Let's go Arizona Cardinals over eight and a half with my $150. Not giving up. Not giving up. I can't keep I can't quit you, Cliff. Play your way and bet on more than just the final score. Wager on everything from touchdowns to total yards to catches. You can even combine your bets for a chance at a bigger payout with the same game parlay. Don't fumble your chance to get $150 in free bets, win or lose, with the promo code Ryan. Make every moment more with FanDuel, official sportsbook partner of the NFL. Must be 21 and older in select states. First online real money wager only. $10 first deposit required. Bonus issued is non-withdrawable. Free bets that expire 14 days after receipt. Restrictions apply. See terms at sportsbook.fanduel.com. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP or text next step to 53342 in Arizona. 1-800-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org forward slash chat in Connecticut. 1-800-GAMBLER or visit fanduel.com forward slash RG in Colorado, Iowa, Indiana, Illinois, New Jersey, PA, Virginia, or 1-877-770-STOP in Louisiana, 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help. Michigan, 1-877-8-HOPE-NEW-YORK or text HOPE-NEW-YORK, 467-369-NEW YORK. Tennessee Redline, 1-800-889-9789-Tennessee or visit 1-800-GAMBLER.NET, West Virginia. The voice of the UFC, fresh off of one of the most historic finishes to a fight we have seen in the franchise's history. John Anik joins us uh, fresh off of UFC 278 out of Salt Lake. And Edwards with the kick to Usman late in the fifth round. And Anik, this is, this is big-time stuff. Um, you know how I feel about you. We've known each other a really long time. But for you to have um, 
Mo Edwards had the moment. He kicked Usman in the head and knocked him out. But for you to capture that call with you also warning us that like Edwards is not somebody who's going to give up, even though the rounds two, three, and four, you're like, what's going on here? So what was that moment like for you? Take us back to that moment on one of the most shocking finishes in UFC history. Well, it's great to be with you as always. Anyone with a voice like yours shouldn't be calling anyone else the voice of anything, but it's always good to be with my dear friend, uh, a man who I hold in just the highest regard. Uh, (laughs) This was crazy, man. And I try not to have a recency bias and to sound like the promotion cuts my check when I talk about these fights and these results and superlatives. But you got to understand the UFC was launched in 1993. So when I sit here and say that I think this is the biggest singular win in UFC history, it's not as though I'm talking about a full century's worth of history. But when you account for all factors, Kamar Usman was 56 seconds away from having a 20-fight winning streak in modern-day mixed martial arts, tying Anderson Silva's record for longest consecutive win streak in UFC history. And now none of that is going to happen. And he walks back into his new life, having been concussed to this extent. That says nothing of Leon Edwards and how hard it was for him to have this title fight materialize, the nature of the knockout, how listless he was in rounds two, three, and four. As far as the singular moment is concerned, you know, Leon uh, really didn't do much for 15 minutes. And I know he has spoken since about the altitude and maybe some other factors. I'm excited to see what he can now do fighting in a trilogy fight at sea level because candidly, Uh, he was 56 seconds away from a lifetime of regret potentially because Leon isn't necessarily the type of guy who's going to be first in line to get another crack at the belt. So it's just crazy to me how this swung on a dime. And yeah, I guess when the narrative came that he might be chasing some moral victory, certainly it popped in my head like this isn't the moral victory chasing type of guy. And uh, I guess I got a little bit lucky with the timing, but uh, just happy for a real good dude who, uh, you know, you know, I'm not surprised he's motherfucking people and just being like, you know, pound for pound, what? You know, pound for pound, fucking what? Well, you know me, I'm going to root for all the Jamaicans, so. Um, right, of course you are. Right. Uh, so how how quick was it then? So as you're sitting there and you're thinking about what to say, because you, you've got this conversation now going around about how it is some moral victory for him to go the five rounds in a title fight. He's going to lose the decision. And like, I thought the first round was very active, but Usman's cardio is insane. It doesn't ever seem to change his wrestling when and I love that you guys bring this up all the time. And it's a really good point by DC is like when you're born a wrestler, I don't care how much wrestling you do from 25 on. You're not going to be the same as the kid who was who was born wrestling. You're just not going to be that those that muscle memory, the just the the way you've you've challenged your body, the mentality of wrestlers. You know, we always joke about don't get in a fight with wrestlers because they're just fucking different. And for that to be kind of the mood for you to sense the moment like this is big time stuff like i don't know if it's do you believe in miracles but seriously man this is this is career defining stuff for you so for you to be in that moment and have the awareness like a younger version of you a younger version of me not doing play-by-play but like that's what's great about getting comfortable in the industry where you're like i know i'm good I'm fine. And then it kind of like opens up your mind to a different level of awareness because you're not thinking about how you're doing the job anymore. And that sense for you to know the fighter because you're around these guys all the time, because you've watched every single fight. And in that moment, to kind of take that risk that's going against the mood of how that fight's going, that is big time stuff. And that's why I wanted to have you on. Well, I I appreciate that. I really honestly thought we were going to talk about the fight because when I go up to do the post show after this uh, exceedingly long evening, I don't even know that I've said that. 
You know, I really don't even know until I get to social media that that is even a thing. You know, I do know what the narrative of the fight is. And I guess in some part, it's weird to be universally praised and to receive more praise than I've ever received by a mile in my UFC broadcasting career, juxtaposed against somehow people coming at my broadcast partners. And I do need to say, you know, it's okay somehow for Leon Edwards's corner to be super critical and be like, dude, you're getting bullied. Like, stop feeling sorry for yourself, right? But yet an analyst who is paid to be critical um, can't say that he's fighting listlessly or he's chasing a moral victory. Now, I take great exception, candidly, to someone saying he would be chasing a moral victory. But Glover Teixeira once said to me, when I was fighting Alexander Gustafson, like, my corner said to me before round round five, like, I'm getting tuned up, like, you either go knock him out or get knocked out. And Glover got knocked out. So some guys aren't willing to get knocked out. So I think the underlying theme could be like, bro, go in there and just get torched, but at least try to kick him in the head. And you know what? God damn it, Leon went and tried to kick him in the head. But, you know, his body language gave the analysts a lot of real estate with which to criticize, you know? So it's a little bit weird for me being praised while my guys who I thought nailed what they were saying are being criticized. Yeah, I mean, that's that's also like if a guy goes 0 for 3 on three strikeouts and you're like, what the hell's wrong with this guy and hits a fourth home run or hits a home run in his fourth at bat, it doesn't mean that you were wrong to right, you know, right. go, what the hell's he doing in these previous at bats? But but fight-wise, if we focus on the Usman part of this, he seemed to juggle between I'm the GOAT and I don't want to talk about the GOAT. And it was like, no, I think you do. I think you do want to talk about the win streak is impossible in this sport. Okay. Um, when I think about the resume, I don't know if you're going to tell me I'm nuts here and I go, all right. Yep. The pound for pound. I don't know. He just never felt like, are we, are we, we really suggesting that Kamara Usman's the greatest pound for pound fighter in the history of the UFC. I had a hard time taking that leap and I found myself at times being slightly annoyed. And I know his story is incredible. The doubt, the way he fought his way up. Uh, I have all the respect for that. But I was like, stop pretending you don't want to be a part of this conversation because it seems like you're bringing it up and making an argument for yourself being that. And maybe that was my resistance more so the way he handled it than it was the resume. So yeah. give me your thoughts on like what was valid about what his his historical standing was had he pulled that off. Well, and I think that's all fair. I think everything you say is fair. And, you know, my podcast partner, Kenny Florian, would say that he's not the most layered martial artist in the world. He doesn't even have a signature choke in terms of with his wrestling game and his ability to get you to the ground. You know, even in a fight like this, if he had an undeniable signature choke and his jujitsu was super offensive, we might not even be talking about a head kick. So certainly you can open that conversation to be sure. Does he live the martial artist lifestyle like George St. Pierre? Not necessarily. I would argue he certainly puts in as many hours of training. Um, but the pound for pound thing, the goat thing, it's very tricky while careers are going on. And a pay-per-view ago when Amanda Nunes was fighting Juliana Pena, I sort of opened the pay-per-view saying like, hey, you know, I, yeah, you're the GOAT, but like, don't you put that status on the line every time you compete right now? Because when I say Kamar Usman is walking back into his new life and, you know, whatever degree of humility he will accept at this point in time, like, I love the guy. He's the guy whose numbers in my phone, I'm close with him, Leon Edwards. But I did think after rounds two and three, his body language was cocky. You know, he's literally to my immediate left. And he just had that aura of invincibility. And then after round four, he was tired. He was tired. He dominated round four. He was fucking tired, you know? So there are a lot of layers to it. I still think he's one of the greatest I have seen with that broad generalization. 
It's hard for me on the heels of this loss to quantify his welterweight legacy against George St. Pierre's. You know, when George St. Pierre lost to Matt Serra, it was very early on in his career. How's he going to respond to this? Is this going to get Ryan Rosillo to England for the trilogy, the biggest fight in UFC history? You think the trilogy is going to be the biggest fight? No, I mean, Rogan said it right in the moment. And again, you know, because it's not, I'm sorry. No, no, no. The trilogy fight between these three, between these guys is not the biggest fight in UFC history. But I would argue until I'm red in the face that what Leon just did is the biggest singular win in UFC history right now, other than maybe McGregor against Jose Aldo in 13 seconds. Um, But I'm telling you, the third meeting between these two guys, bro, is a monstrosity. It is one of the biggest fights in UFC history. And that speaks to Kamaru's legacy and just how good he is. You know, certainly top 10 all time, without a question, Kamaru's. Yeah, and that's totally different than, I think, what the lead-up was. But you know what? It doesn't sell fights to go, hey, this guy's a chance to maybe be third best pound for pound ever. Huh. Like, that's it, it, just not the way we talk about any of this stuff. And I just think for my, for, and again, me coming in as just a fan, uh, I was like, wait. This is the conversation that we're diving huh. in here. And, and by the way, credit to Usman, too. Like, he wanted to keep fighting. Like, one of my favorite things about Jones was that he'd be winning on the cards and then he'd be like, maybe I'll just do some crazy stand-up movie tie with you now. And it's maybe dumb, but with Jones <laughs> in his prime, it didn't matter. He was going to fuck everybody up. Right. Um, with Usman, you know, he he wanted to keep fighting. And, and you guys were bringing that up. And it's just... It's one of the most technically amazing faint left jab, move the headline into the kick when you see the way it's set up and you see the way it's finished. And, I, you know, I'm just on my, on my couch by myself. The windows are open on the balcony. I don't know what I'm screaming. And I didn't even really care who won. I am screaming because I cannot believe the result. And. That's why, you know how I feel about it, as much as I love college football and basketball, it's the best sport. This, well, this, it's just the it's, best. Yeah, and you know, I, I wake up and look at baseball box scores every day, and you know, there are a lot of guys like Evan Longoria and Trevor Story. You know where I'm going here. I mean, those guys love the UFC, right? Like, Trevor Story will hit a home run. I'll send him a message out of support, and all he wants to talk about is Sugar Sean O'Malley. You know, these guys are obsessed with the UFC, but I mean, unless I have a bag of Adderall, I can't watch an at-bat. I can't sit down for a singular at bat, never mind a, an inning, you know, right? And maybe this sport is to blame or the reason why, because mixed martial arts is so compelling. And I used to say when I was a boxing radio guy that when boxing is at its best, nothing can touch it. And this is boxing, you know, on crap, boxing with so many different disciplines and ways to win. And this sport has actually sort of softened and ruined boxing a little bit for me. So, um, yeah, greatest sport in the world. And uh, to anyone who hasn't been to a UFC live event, you know, um, I can't like give away pay-per-views like I did last time on your show. It cost me like a thousand dollars, but um, I strongly encourage people to ingest a live event. Come see us in Vegas um, and then you'll be hooked for life. All right. Let's talk about my guy Rockhold. Um, it had been three years and it was three years with some like scheduled fights and then it wasn't happening. Um I don't know what it is. It's his athleticism. Um, maybe it's it's some of the early fights. I'll never forget the Bisping knockout though, because I was like, is he not? What's he doing? Is he is he like thinks so little of Bisping at this stage that he's not fully engaged? <laughs> um, the Weidman fight obviously was one I enjoyed a lot, and so I didn't really know against against a guy like <laughs> against a guy like Costa, who just 
the best version of Costa, which I do want to talk about too, is just haymakers. And I'm like, oh man, I'm like, I don't know about this matchup for Rockwell. So I'm excited about it. Want to, I still want to see. And within what, 60 seconds, 90 seconds, I'm like, oh, so Rockhold spent already? What the fuck is going on here? What, what happened? So I know what happened later on. You know, there's a bunch of different things. I'm not doing a great job of setting this up at all. But what, was there also for you that first moment with you and Joe and DC? We're like, wait, Rockhold's already like tired. Like, what the fuck is going on right now? There's so much to unpack when it comes to this fight week. I know. I I, and that's you. why I'm doing such a bad to, job with it. Go ahead. Well, so. He was so angry during fight week and so intense. And yet in other ways, he was more welcoming and more opening, you know, perhaps sensing that this could be the end of his career at 37 years of age. You know, he left no stone unturned for seven months preparing for this fight. He's dealt with a lot of different injuries. People have questioned his chin, which in a lot of respects really doesn't grow back. Although there have been some instances in which guys have with time off, maybe shown to be able to take a better shot, but you know, his nose was busted very early in this fight, which upset his breathing pattern. And the, and then the altitude factor, I think, can't be dismissed, you know. But yeah, I mean, he faced adversity early. You know, he looked like me playing high school basketball, hands on the knees, right? It's never a good look for the judges, even when you're having moments in the fight. But man, did your guy fight valiantly. I mean, how can you say otherwise? You know, he has always had heart. He has always had championship medal. The weight cut is not easy for him. He mastered it this time around. You know, last time he cut down to... 185 pounds, you know, he was staring death in the face and it was four years ago. I mean, there's so many different layers. He's 37 years old. Like age isn't just a number, you know, uh, you should see the guy hit a golf ball, right? Skill for skill. I feel like he's one of the better martial artists I've ever seen. So his UFC body of work to me is, is underwhelming and rooted in underachievement. Like what do you 11 UFC appearances? What do you think his UFC record is? Luke Rocco retires six and five in the UFC, bro, you know? Yeah. And yet I think it's my favorite loss ever for a guy that I root for. And that's that's where the fight, because I'm like, all right, because I thought he was already a little gassed before the broken nose. And I was like, okay. And then I'm like, how long is he even going to last? And for him to go the distance to him, throw that left after yelling, fuck you. And then somehow, you know, get get the mount at the very end of the fight. And then, you know, depending on where your head's at with a lot of stuff, rubbing his blood all over Costa's face at the end, which was just, I felt like that was him going, I'm going to fucking lose. And I'm so frustrated that I don't have, like, I don't have the juice to me that I want. And that's why I also think when he was with Rogan afterwards and he just said, I'm old and he started almost breaking down. Yeah. It was, if you're going to go out with a loss, that's probably the best way you could ever go out with a loss. Which I is agree. not, yeah, yeah. Other than the hands on the knees visual, I think that's the only thing we really could have done without because the aesthetic of that, what it says to everyone is just not really a good thing. And it it opens the can for people to really denigrate the fight, which by the way, earned a bonus for being fight of the night. Oftentimes these crazy back and forth type fights, even though this was 30-27 and not back and forth, but even though these fights in which Oftentimes, these fights in which both guys have their moments can be bonus winning, even though they're not the highest level of mixed martial arts. And I guess that's not a terrible segue to Paolo Costa, who also is physically and mentally very tough. And, um, you know, I do think he actually is more handsome than your guy. Like he has everything you would want in a future UFC superstar. Um, And he has the martial arts like he is a martial artist. He does live the lifestyle like he does have jujitsu. He 
I don't know. I just don't know why for Paulo Costa, for whatever reason, he hasn't been able to like really produce these signature wins that are, you know, championship level. But I believe in the other side. Uh, I believe in Costa and and he's a classy dude that deserves the win. Did you have a problem with the blood thing, by the way, with Rockhold smear in his face? I love it. Like, I, I love the blood. I really couldn't care less about that. I think some people took issue with it. I'm going to check to see what the CDC is. Uh, yeah, see what I, know I know you are. Uh, let me let me look that up. Um, I, I'll look. I don't know if this is the right because you know, in a way, I feel guilty. Like Costa wins it unanimously. Like no one, no one was wondering what was going to. You know, when they went right. to the cards, I wasn't. <laughs> there was no suspense for me at home. Right. I knew Luke had lost the fight, but because Luke had been off so long, because he's thirty-seven, because of the way the fight started, and I was like, is he even going to make it here? I thought there were a lot of moments where I'm like, how come Costa isn't pounding on him more? And I, I felt like I was holding Costa to a higher standard so it can sound like we're more celebratory of Rockhold and the loss, which is unfair to Costa. But that's only because, at least for me with Costa, I'm like, where's the dude who just unleashes, goes banshee mode? Like where? So I thought his cardio was also, and again, I don't know if it's all the altitude stuff that right, we, we right. brought up multiple times, but I was more underwhelmed by him in the win because of who I think he can be at his best. And I was surprised there weren't multiple times like, Dude, Rockhold's turned his back to you right now. Yeah. He's bent yep. over, gassed. Like, where, where are you? And that was weird for me. And, and I think that's fair, you know? And I do think to question Costa's cardiovascular base at altitude or otherwise is fair. I'm not necessarily an expert, but my fan opinion, honestly, bro, is like, it's still Luke Rockhold on the other side. You know, don't tell me there's no danger factor. You know, certainly when they're all bloody and sweaty, the submission danger factor becomes exponentially less. But I, I still think people are dismissive of the fact that Rockhold still presents danger despite some of those really bad visuals like, you know, turning his back on you on the feet. And I think the proof is in the pudding later in the fight when when Rockhold lands a blow that, you know, stunned Costa for a minute. Um I don't know. And the kicks, know. by the way, too. Like, that was the weirdest thing about the fight from Rock. At one point, you're like, is he going to ask to stop? To, like, how how is he going to go on? And then he would find some reserve where he's he's landing spinning kicks to his torso. Right. So it was it was such a strange fight for a card, you know, that at one point I'm like, what's what's going on? Like, the card was kind of underwhelming. I don't I don't think you would disagree with that. Or is that OK to say? Yeah, it's fine. It's fine. Yeah. Okay, and I don't have to. I don't have to add to it. Uh, that that fight was exactly what the card needed. I mean, it, granted, we could talk about the history, the beginning of the end of of everything that happened with Usman and Edwards, but that fight, I imagine, changed everything in the arena. Yeah, no doubt. Well, and just to give you a little lens into the production, you know, Dana White has a phone and he picks it up and can get right to the truck, so he can control how the broadcast goes. If we go right to the next fight, there are certain sponsorship obligations that absolutely have to get in, but we can float those elements and get to them later in the show. So he usually has a pretty brilliant stroke when it comes to like, you know, keep fucking spinning this thing forward. You know, I know we got to promote Kamsat Shimaev and Nate Diaz, but we got to keep going. But you're absolutely right because the fight before with Jose Aldo and Rob Dwalish-Willie was a little bit underwhelming. Um, the least offense-filled performance of Jose Aldo's career, and hopefully it's not the one he goes out on. But yes, that was leading into the Rockhold Costa fight. So I would agree. And especially given Usman stylistically too, you know, just given his dominant nature, a lot of power, but a lot of pressure and control as well. Um, yeah, it was just what the card needed. This sport's just crazy, though, man. For me, it's like it's just nuts at any given moment. Like 
everything just flies off the handle, bro. It's like, you just got to be so focused for eight hours because otherwise you miss something, you know? All right. Uh, so do you think Rockhold did retire then? Because it sounded like that's what he was saying to Rogan in the ring. You know, it's tough. I mean, he still needed a medical sleeve, a medical exemption for a sleeve because yeah. the skin on his shin is so thin from the staff and everything else. So it's, you know, he's old, man. You know, I mean, I, I, I hate to say, it, you know, not everyone is going to be able to fight until they're 40, 41 years old. I mean, I, you know, he did, there's no, I mean, are you asking me if there are middleweights in the top 10 that he can beat? Very many of them, you know, and to be healthy over seven months. I mean, he spent so much money and time on recovery and physical therapy and uh, just everything to optimize his body. And, you know, I don't know, man, you know, I don't know how much, if we're overstating the altitude or understating it, but certainly Luke in theory put himself in position to fight a hard 15 minutes after a career full of 25 minute fights, or at least fights that were scheduled, you know, for title fights, 25 minutes. And, uh, yeah, I don't know. I, I I'd love to see him try to do one more, but he didn't seem to be in that mindset. All right. So after the fight, Usman goes down, you got Edwards celebrating all over the place like i stayed and watched some of the post fight stuff you were back up there with everybody uh what's the energy like for the production i mean i imagine it's not hard to find it after something like that but but what is it like like what's it like with all the other guys that you're working with on the broadcast i mean it's wild i was trying to find leon honestly after the post show to see if i could just congratulate the fucking guy after a win like that because you want to do it that night you know i once unsuccessfully tried to track down my broadcast partner dominic cruz and evidently um he chose the women that night over me or ghosted me when I got to the hotel. No, he said his phone died. Um, but dude, I was shaking after this fight. There have only been that. three times in 11 years where I've been shaking after a live event. Like I'm on the post set. I'm not nervous. You know, uh, that's my exhale. Loosen up the tie, sit on the post show. I was shaking from what had just happened. You know, the only other time was Connor and Khabib after the brawl. And then what's immortalized behind me when Max Holloway through like 800 punches and destroyed Calvin Cater, the Boston guy, you know, there's nothing like it, man, the energy of this sport and, um, just impossible to sleep. And, uh, I don't know, man, it's, uh, it's a crazy, crazy thing. This traveling road show where we're all together and we're traveling intimately and we're on buses with the athletes that has sort of waned a little bit. Um, but certainly, I mean, my first six, seven, eight years with this company, oftentimes on the bus, I had an athlete who was competing on the way to the weight cut, uh, to my left and right. So it's, uh, it's, it's our own little circus, man. And thankfully, uh, a lot of the Americans are getting on board, you know? Yeah, kid. All right. Uh, you did mention, uh, Chimaev and Diaz. Is that the next one? That's the next pay-per-view. Yes. Yeah. Uh, the show in Paris, France, Labor Day weekend. And then, uh, and then our next pay-per-view. Yes. Kamzat Chimaev prohibitively favored, I would say against, uh, Nathan Diaz. Yeah, but it's Nate Diaz. So well, no, goodbye. prohibitively means that he is, uh, is, you know, like, I don't think he should be like, be caution. Like it's prohibited. Oh, no. Isn't that right. I mean, you I know? get it. Um, it's just that Shmaev here is pretty fucking nasty. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's a fascinating fight to me, you know, um, because Nate just has this uncanny ability to, um, to produce in these settings in which he is seemingly up against it, you know, anything else we need to add? 
Well, not in terms of Leon's win, but I just have to tell you, like the best news for UFC fans is that Kamara Usman is the type of champion. And I think he's going to have you come around eventually. But dude, this is not the type of champion that is going to hold up. This is the type of champion, right, that is smiling now with his daughter already trying to find moments of levity. He's going to turn around an absolute monster for Leon Edwards, you know. So this is the best type of champion for this to have happened to because he's going to try to get back in there as soon as possible, probably before he's medically cleared. And that trilogy is going to be enormous. Wheels up. Let's go. Who's your favorite fighter right now? Oh, gosh. I mean, well, could I at least hat tip Tony Ferguson, who is stepping up into uh, a co-main event at welterweight in three weeks time? He's fought his entire UFC career at lightweight fighting uh, the leech Lee Jingliang, a ranked welterweight coming up in three weeks. So Tony comes to mind. Justin Gaethje comes to mind. Michael Chandler comes to mind. I mean, the lightweight division, those are all lightweights, you know. Um, but it's hard for me to pick favorites, you know, it really is, but, uh, it's almost like how much time do you have? You know, we could go division by division. The sport is just so ripe right now. Uh, it's just crazy. I can't emphasize enough how much the global pandemic, uh, helped us domestically and how Dana White forging through and breaking through a wall when no other league wanted to do so, like tripled our fan base in the States. I know it didn't do that, but it certainly feels that way. Like we go to these live events, the crowds are Arriving earlier than ever, we have 23 consecutive sellouts. You know, we set live gate records everywhere we go. You know, there have been NBA finals games at the Delta Center where we just were. They call it Vivint Arena now. You know, we just set the live gate record, you know. Hope I don't sound like a guy trying to get a new contract, but what Dana White did during the pandemic was amazing, you know. Yeah, looking back on it, you know, the uncertainty of everything, it's like, well, how could they be doing this? How could they be doing this? And then you're like, oh, well, yeah, it probably made sense. Like, they were able to execute it. They are able to be safe about it. And they kept the product rolling at a time where it was it was so challenging for so many other ones to try to pull it off. So, uh, yeah, I'm not I'm not giving you shit about that because I think we agree on that. Which fighter hates you the most right now? Oh, ah, gosh. Uh, I mean, that is a really difficult. That is an exceedingly difficult question. Uh, it's an asshole that, question. You don't you know, have to. You don't well, have to answer it. You don't yeah, have to well, here it. I'll say this. <clears throat> you know, I don't get like the warmest vibe from Calvin Cater, who's a Boston guy. Now, I don't think he has any axe to grind with me per se. Right? I'm sure he doesn't like what's behind me on my podcast every week. Right? So maybe that's the problem, Cal. Just turn that around for you, Cal. No, but like, I feel like as Boston guys, you know, maybe we should be a little bit warmer. So I get a little bit of an icy vibe from him. But no, I try so hard to not have too many enemies. You know, um, there, it, you know, I've had coaches sort of approach me after fights and say, you know, hey, sorry, sorry, your guy didn't win. And it's like, excuse me, bro? you know, <laughs> you want to settle this outside? The problem is I can't settle this outside you know? with any of these guys. I'd lose all these fights. So there's no settling it outside. Um, but it is what it is. It comes with the territory. I often say there's not a live event that goes by where there isn't either a fighter, uh, a coach, a fan, a boss, or somebody who's upset with me. Uh, and oftentimes more than one of that group. And um, certainly my skin is thicker uh, than it was, you know, seven, eight years ago. And uh, it is what it is, you know. Well, as you know, you know, I'm home. You got some food. I hit by and I see you in your suit smiling at me with unmatched enthusiasm. Uh, the work you put into it, the prep, the research, and the the joy you have doing your job. It is one of the things in this industry that makes me like smile as hard as you're ever going to see me smile. So every time I see you do it, man, it's uh it's a thrill for me. And I know I say it every time you come on, but it was just for Saturday was fucking awesome. And it was uh it's about the fighters. It's always about the fighters, but it was always nice to see my guy get a little 
little moment in there because that moment is going to live now forever in the history of the UFC. Well, I appreciate it more than you know. It means a, a tremendous amount. And uh, I'm going to be in your neck of the woods September 4th. So uh, maybe we can uh, connect uh, depending Sounds on... Sounds your- good. LSU, right. Florida State. You know where you'll find me. All right, buddy. Hey, thank you so much for having me. I appreciate it. And I uh, hope to see you at a live event before the year's out, brother. Vegas in December would probably work. Let's go. Done. Please. Let me just say right now, I'll go and, and put two aside for me and ask if Dana, if you know, they'd be a little closer. Ha! I knew that was coming. December 10th, you're locked in. Uh, We'll get you on the floor. This episode is supported by State Farm. So look, a little rock hit your dude's windshield on the highway. And at first you're like, what is that? I'm like, oh, it's just a little mark. Nope. Now by the end of the ride, it's a big crack. And it had been a while. So I check out the State Farm app. I go, hey, this is what happened. And the funny thing is, is I was like, do I want to go app first or do I call old school guy, probably should call. I was like, let's check out the app. Not only did it take a minute to get done, they set up the glass replacement. They told me the estimate ahead of time, said, do you want to go ahead with it? And I was like, now I understand it's all in front of me, all done. I don't even have to talk to anybody. That's how efficient the insurance game has become. But really the only words you need to remember are like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. State Farm has options to fit your unique insurance needs, meaning you can Talk to your agent to choose the coverage you need. Have coverage options to protect the things you value most. File a claim right on the State Farm mobile app, just like I did. And even reach a real person when you need to talk to somebody. The app was so good, I didn't even need to do that. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Learn more at statefarm.com. We want to introduce something new that we want to do. We've been wanting to do this on the podcast now for a while. I think Saruti and I, the first time we talked about it, and I know we talked about it on the pod, is we were like, is there some version of of takes so you could buy stock in. And again, the very easy mechanism is just buy or sell, but TV shows have done that forever. Radio shows have done it forever. And it's like, it, it makes sense. It's a good gimmick to kind of come up with different talking points. And what I wanted to do was kind of keep track of just the worst takes that come up over the course of a season. And then I was like, will this take be even more valuable or less valuable? And then it kind of became complicated because it's like, how do you actually price them? And then we're keeping track of it. So then we decided to do something a lot more simple. And it was really more Saruti's idea where it's essentially a podium of takes. There's three takes, big F1 guys on this podcast, where we start with a clean slate before the football season, college pro, we'll even throw a little basketball in there, but we're starting basically this up now where Every week we'll come up with, on one of the three podcasts that we're doing every single week, um, nominations for a podium of one of the three worst takes that we've heard throughout that season. All right? So we're calling it worst take, but it's not, it's not like we're going to rank them all. Um, and there are going to be times, like we wanted to start with a clean slate because there's a couple of historical ones that will never be knocked off of that podium for me. Um, some of the rules, Saruti, let's go over this. Um, Skip Bayless ineligible, out. Yeah, all of it is made too up. easy. It's all for reaction from from people. Um, so he's ineligible, not interested. Uh, I am worried about how often it seems Florio kind of <laughs> kind of can. Like I still think that the Wildcat strike tweet from a couple years ago with that Ravens practice suggesting that the football season could potentially be over. Um, that that's that's not one great. of the all timers november 30th 2020 per source there are a few 
uh, new fears of Ravens players refusing to play tomorrow night, which technically would be a wildcat strike. It could create major issues between NFL and NFLPA if it happens. Potentially, it could jeopardize the balance of the season. Eh, or, we'll, or, or we'll be good to go tomorrow. That's a big t- and now to be fair, he did clarify in the full post of that. He said, however, unlikely, but it's like, yeah, but I, you know, you know what you tried to do. You still floated it out there. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. You, you suggested the NFL season was going to be over in November because of this Ravens practice. So we don't want to have older ones because I don't know that that one would ever be removed from the podium. Like that to me is a top three forever. Um, other ones, Rick Buecher suggesting that LeBron James was just a glue guy. <laughs> <laughs> glue guy <laughs> and if you, if you heard that interview that he did with me on ESPN radio the drop that we had forever was me reacting immediately going glue guy uh, as if as if LeBron's this this like <laughs> Kyle Anderson type that just sort of <laughs> knows how to make the right pass from time to time and it'll, it's a jumper for you what year was um, that? that was uh, t- 2000 12 maybe yeah that would have i mean if we're doing like yearly winners that would have easily won that year that's a that's a runaway favorite it's one of the worst basketball takes i've ever heard in my entire life but he also was he was a westbrook guy an anti-kd guy he said that westbrook was the one that understood like what it took to win and kd was passive and all this other shit he's also an anti-lebron guy he is because he was so pro kobe yeah yeah i mean honestly buker deserves more credit for being the og of like deciding I'm going to ride for this player. Because, like, I don't think Nick Wright's eligible for any of this stuff because I don't really believe a lot of stuff that he says. Like, when I, he see, sh- I kind of disagree with you on that. I, I think know Nick Wright should be eligible, but I don't know. Like, we, maybe it'll have to be up to a fan vote. Yeah, maybe. Because, like, when, when I know that the Wiggins acquisition video makes the rounds and he was just saying this is Wiggins is terrible. By the way, none of us thought, like, adding Wiggins and that contract to a basketball team was a great thing for any basketball team to be fair to Nick, but it was dismissive of the idea that now Wiggins being asked to be like the fourth most important guy and your life is just way easier when it's the Splash Brothers commanding so much of the attention. Um, And then, you know, even to last year in that role, there were still times where Wiggins, I thought was incredibly frustrating. And guess what? Andrew Wiggins had a terrific playoffs. He had a terrific season and he was great. But like what Nick was really doing was he was shitting on Steph to be more pro LeBron. So like that stuff where it's the re- the only reason you're saying these things is because you just want to prop up the thing that you're married to. Yeah, it's calculated. Like I just don't I don't put a ton of stock into it. I don't and I honestly I don't think that's even being disrespectful. Yeah. It's like I know exactly what you're doing and this is a shit on Steph like it's a macro anti-Steph thing more right. than it is anything about Wiggins cuz the rest of that video is like Steph will never win again, he'll never do this, never do that. And to me it was all very protective of LeBron. All right, so moving on. And by the way, it appears that everybody that's ever worked with Nick thinks he's like the greatest. So, I can think his takes, you know, whatever. Um skip, I do not hear the same intel. Yeah, that's not. I mean, yeah, so that's the go. other thing too is like there there's probably going to be some Canel stuff in here. But it's not always 90% yeah, right. This isn't about who I like or don't like. I like Canel. 90% of his SEC takes are so bad. Like, remember he was bitching about the seating for the baseball, like the College World Series? He yeah. was like, he was so out of SEC takes. He started bitching about, he's like, oh, well, look what happens when you get seat. And then I think it ended up being two SEC schools in the College World Series final anyway. Um, Kellerman's got the all-timer there with the, I'd rather have Iguodala take the shot than Steph Curry, which again, fate, I don't... Fate of the universe. Laser beam pointed at Earth. Who would you rather, would you rather laser, have taken the last shot? 
That's right. Laser beam pointed at Earth. Yep. Um, yep. Yeah, I don't. Tough I mean, one. but the thing is, is Kellerman had that little smirk that makes me think that he knew what was happening. And that video makes the rounds like every couple of months on social media. Uh, Acho's always good for a couple every every always. few months. Man, people were just former players were going at it with him on the Kayvon Thibodeau hit on whether or not that was dirty. See, what I always something I had thought about doing was I thought years ago, like, all right, everybody's taking all these things and we're, we're all and. You know, I'm wrong about shit, too. I'm never wrong because I'm looking for attention. All right. I'm just wrong because I'll get something wrong. I do not, as everybody who's ever listened to me or watched me, like, I never go, hey, you know, what? I'm just going to say this fucking stupid thing today because I want to see it make the rounds. I never want to do the job that way. I'm not saying it makes me better. It just means that if I'm wrong, it's because I just got it wrong. Uh, maybe they're better at it because they don't even believe the shit when they say it and they're wrong. Right. But because there's so much like contradictory stuff out there that if somebody just decided to do and again the daily show for sports if i had a dollar for every time i'd heard somebody come up with that kind of idea it doesn't ever seem to work i watch a john oliver do these monologues and i go could i ever do something like that and an element that i would want to do is just be like all right here's this week's and it'd have to be weekly not daily but here's this week's thing of like can you believe this guy fucking said this all right and then you would just dismantle it the whole way and I remember sharing that idea with somebody else and they were like, good idea. You could probably do it, but you don't want to do it because everybody's going to hate you for being the guy that decides that like this was stupid. Here's the thing. We already do it. We just do it on social media in the moment. So when the guy says the thing that everybody can't believe he said, which is going to happen numerous times throughout the football season, nobody's nice about it in the moment. Nobody cares about anybody else's feelings. And here's the thing. Like I said, I will be bringing up like Gottlieb, who's a friend. His anti-pay player stuff and some of the arguments that he's made over the years, I'm just like, what are you talking about, man? Like, you're still on this argument? You're still on this one? So everybody's eligible for this stuff, except for, as we mentioned at the top, the guy that I just don't talk about. Um, and I might, you know, I could have something in there. We're at the beginning of football season. But the reason I avoid some of it is because I don't do... Hey, A Block, can you say something absolutely insane on today's TV show? I don't have to deliver that shit every single day. Yeah. So it's a little different for me and for other people as well. Yeah. If you're doing a, a, a daily three hour radio show, you're going to be wrong all the time. And that's fine. All the and time. again, this isn't this isn't even necessarily to just clown on people. It's just funny. Like, I think it's just it's just going to be entertaining. And to your point about, you know, the show idea and people would hate you in the industry. I don't do people hate the old, the old takes exposed guy. I think people genuinely like that. I, I, I don't know that. Like, I think that people like the accountability and it's like kind of lighthearted and fun. And yeah, there's the same, some people are used more often than not on there, but I don't think people hate that guy for calling out other people in the industry. No, I don't think so. I don't think so. so. I mean, a lot of times it's funny. So have you ever been old takes exposed? I don't even, I was trying to think of what your worst take was and I couldn't really come up with one. I mean, we were, we were kind of kicking around Chris Paul, but it's not really a take. It's more of like a general vibe that you like. Chris yeah. Paul. This is different um, than just, Hey, so-and-so pick the Eagles to win the division. This is, yeah. you have to say something like monumentally, like, what are you talking about? And maybe we won't even have three nom. Or maybe we'll have three nominees and whatever. However, the season plays out the entire time. Um, my, Trade Embiid thing because I was worried about his health and a contract extension. Totally wrong. You know, I, I fucked that one up. Uh, the one about the Rams and Jared Goff was one that did actually piss me off because I the did seven him? minutes. The trading did, him? No, I did seven minutes on Goff off a of preseason game where I said it, it concerns me how delicate they were with him. But at the time, I didn't understand how McVay handles his starters. 
And I said, I'm worried he could be a bust already. And then they have that great season. But yet you're still like, wait a minute. You know, and clearly, guess who didn't think he was all that good? The Rams. And then they get rid of him. They win a Super Bowl. He's easily in the bottom third of starting quarterbacks now away from McVay. Uh, but what happened was is that it wasn't even old takes exposed. It was a Rams fan site that took like a minute of the seven-minute segment and just said basically Goff's a bust and that's whatever it is. And it's fucked because they posted it. And then I think old takes was like, oh, we'll just take that. And I'm like, you guys, you guys edited this. Mm-hmm. The original people edited it. And I got like threats from people in LA because of Jared Goff. That's one of the craziest reactions. I was like, wait, you guys are this worked up about an anti-Jared Goff segment? And that one was like top five, one of the nastiest reactions I've ever gotten about anything I've ever said, which was so surprising. Um, but it See, was would- like, yeah, a lot of, lot, of, lot of tough Rams fans, tough guys coming after me, uh, which I don't think, Didn't I don't think there's coming. passion. Yeah, I don't think there's passion nah. about Jared Goff now. No. Well, I, I thought it was going to be the one because remember, it was the, the season after Jared Goff's rookie year. And on the show, we were asking, like, if you put Jared Goff on the market right now, like, would you get a fourth round pick for him? And we were like, I don't even know. <laughs> I don't remember the fourth round thing. I just remember the first preseason game. They like sat him as soon as they could and they brought him in after a fumble and then they took him right back out because I felt like teams do that when they're worried about the psyche of a quarterback. They like pretend they play and then they have a, ooh, we had a good moment. We converted two first downs. Let's get him out of there. The game's evolved now where guys just don't even want anybody to play anymore. Yeah. So um, I was kind of wrong and then sort of right later on, but I didn't like the way that one was edited because the way it was presented, it left out all the other open. Yeah. Like I still wasn't saying he will be. I was like, I'm worried that this is kind of happening. So yeah, look, I get plenty of shit wrong and maybe I'll have just an epic one that stays in the podium the entire time. Um so, this, right. so just to recap, this will be you, me, and Kyle. Every week, we'll come up with our one each that we will propose. Yeah, that we will propose, and then we will basically decide whether or not that makes the podium or kicks anything off the podium. Yeah, yeah, perfect. All right, feel free to tweet at us. There you go. Let's get to life advice. This episode of the Ryan Rosilla podcast is brought to you by McDonald's. McDonald's French fries changed my life. They taught me. To want. They taught me the taste of anticipation. There's no wrong way to eat a French fry from McDonald's unless you're eating my French fries. Get your favorite McDonald's fries today. This episode is brought to you by La Quinta by Wyndham. La Quinta by Wyndham has everything you need for your next business trip from free high speed Wi Fi to fitness centers to free bright side breakfast with fresh waffles, eggs, and more. Book direct at lq.com. Tonight, La Quinta, tomorrow you shine. You want details? Bye. I drive a Ferrari, 355 Cabriolet. What's up? I have a ridiculous house in the South Fork. I have every toy you can possibly imagine. And best of all, kids, I am liquid. So, now you know what's possible. Let me tell you what's required. Life advice. Lifeadvicerr at gmail.com. Um... We've got a couple uh, follow-ups here. Um, two quick ones. Uh, a guy was working a boat. I believe the pictures here. It looks like Reykjavik with that low-hanging cloud line you over would know. the city. Yeah, it reminded me of reminded me of my time in Reykjavik. 
Um, he said he was a little surprised. Basically, he's he's working on a boat. Um, so we're gonna say shout out to our guy in the boat. We don't want to say any uh, names, just in case. You know, he could be could be on what, the what, run. What do you mean he's working on a boat? Like he's is, is he a fisherman? Is he a charter guy? What would we doing? This guy seems to be um, the man's man. So I, I don't I don't think he's doing like Norwegian cruises and they just stop in there and he's in charge of the fruit. So. He just said these guys are like up all night, but he was like, I can't believe you didn't do anything about the whale penis or I just like to say Bjork wrong because I just thought it was funny <laughs> forever. We were going to do some Bjork uh, jokes, but I felt like for the people of Iceland, like, oh, cool, you're doing this travel pod and you're just going to make a bunch of Bjork jokes and like whatever. And then somebody was trying to tell me that her house is for sale and it's only like a couple hundred grand. And I was like, all right, that'd be funny. But would it? <laughs> it would be funny, but that'd be a little sad. Right. Yeah. <laughs> then what? Then what? Way to commit to the you biz. <laughs> you get five yeah. minutes of props for that. <laughs> yeah. uh, the whale penis thing, as I said in the um, in the podcast, I did a really bad job in the museum thing. The, the sunlight messed me up in that regard where I'd be like, what is it, like 11? And I'd be like, no, it's five and museums are closing. I'd be like, oh, because I was doing stuff all the time. So I wasn't always like, you know, like I said, it was a lot of driving. So it wasn't like I was going, all right, I'm definitely hitting up this museum. But the one museum one day when I was in the city towards the end of the trip where I was like, you know what, maybe I'll let me check, take a look here at the museums thing. And I did the cod thing and I went to the other maritime thing. So I was kind of like, whatever. But there's a full blown penis museum, just all penises, elf, whale, I guess a couple ex Vikings. Well, I guess you're always a Viking, but human, so, pe- like a man's penis. A man's penis? <laughs> <laughs> I'd be 30 seconds away from a pretty sweet used motorcycle. Um, I don't... Uh, I just was like, I don't think I'm going to go there. I, You know what? The thing is, I took a picture of it, the museum, and I sent it to the uh, Big Cat Chris Long thread. And as I, I... I don't know if I mentioned this or not. You want to talk about two guys that were the least impressed ever with international travel, you know? So like I sent him a couple things. There was, there was no response. So I think I was like, you know what? I actually not going to send him the penis museum picture because they haven't seemed to appreciate any of what I'm doing here. So they're out. It's educational. Yeah. Yeah. It was all educational. All right. Um, we had one about the feuding radio hosts here, and I thought this was such a good idea that I want to share it. What's up? Love the show. Listening since SVP days. They got some solid advice about trying to bring two feuding radio hosts together. It's kind of along the lines of Kyle's get a tattoo comment. But I think the listener who wrote in should become a mutual enemy of the two hosts. Make comments about how bad the segments are. Suggest changes you know they're going to hate. <laughs> Forget to do things for them you normally do. Uh, eventually, maybe their frustration with you will make them talk to each other. If there's anything I've learned during COVID, people love to hate the same things and bond over it. That's a terrific <laughs> sentence. Hopefully, they don't just decide to fire you. Uh, good luck, though. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, right. There is a downside to this. Yeah, your approach. boss needs to know the deal here as well. Like, you can't just be like, hey, I'm just going to stop doing my job so everybody hates me and then everything else be solved. I do love the idea, though, that I'll be so bad that they have a thing to connect on, you know, like they've been feuding for years and years and years. And then you suck at your job so bad for three months that they have this 
breakthrough moment where one guy turns to the other guy and says, this guy sucks, huh? You know, yeah, <laughs> Cliff, it's been awful <laughs> the last couple of months. And he's like, yeah, do you want to get a burger tonight? <laughs> yeah. You could make, you could make like a fake enemy higher up that they wouldn't ever talk shit to, too. That way it doesn't have to be you. You'd be like, yeah, I don't know. They just been telling me all this stuff, man. I don't know. I think it's crazy, right? You could make, you could like galvanize around like a fake enemy, but maybe come contract time, they'll be like, hey, what's going on with this guy, John, I keep hearing about. Like oh, there's no John that works here. So make up a a fake executive higher up who's bothering the yeah, producer but, about like, hey, they're saying these segments are way too long. They're saying that you guys don't you already you guys are you talking about ESPN right now? Because there's two producers that did this to their hosts. Oh really? No, no. Like I, I remember. Yeah. Now we're gonna retract names here, but there were two producers that I know for a fact that like made up controversies to get the host to then feel a better attachment to this person. And then you'd found out like later on, be like that guy kind of made that whole thing up to be like, <laughs> yeah, it's us against them. Yeah. Yeah. It's fucking crazy stuff. Like I am, I'm just, I don't have time to be manipulative. Like I don't even think about it. So when I hear about how manipulative other people can be at times, yeah. I'm like, wow. I'm like, you people do this shit. Um, I just so always feel anyway. like that's not a good long-term tactic, you know? Like, if you're, you're going to lie to get to, to motivate somebody, it's never a, lo a good long-term relationship builder. Um, but, but his line about people uniting with a common enemy or, like, things that they hate is 100% true because people always be like, I don't know, you look at you and me, Ryan. Like, I don't think, I think we get along because we, not because we like the same things, although we sometimes do, but it's because the same things piss us off and we connect on those things, you know? And I think for a lot of my guy friends, that is 100% true. We just get annoyed by the same shit. So it's actually a really great idea. Yeah, it's tough. Tough uh, tough needle to thread on that one to keep your job while also being terrible at it. But you can tend your bosses and be like, I'm actually still great at my job. I just decided to do it poorly to try to get these guys to like each other again. Controversial are, new theme. Old. <laughs> like the wire. Yeah, right. But he was like, we're, we're going to do school a whole new way. We're going to take the kids. We're going to put them <laughs> in a different classroom. It's going to be crazy, but it's going to work. Hamsterdam. Okay. <laughs> Great first impression uh, with a sports media celebrity. Now what? Whoa. Ryan, Kyle, and Steve. Let me start out saying love the pod. Haven't missed a show. Been following since the SVP days. Don't think stats are necessary, but to remain dedicated to the bit, 66195. If you're 66, you should tell us, man. Putting on weight can be tough. Don't repeat this info. All right. <laughs> so he's telling us who he is, what his job is. Uh, He's on air. Um, I, I believe, you know, maybe he's not on air. Um, he's he's in a smaller market, man, working his way up, like almost everybody that works in television. All right, right. So he ran into a sports media celebrity, and he wants to know what to do. All right, so TV sports guy who covers a couple big time college football schools was in my office a week and a half ago and got a phone call. I answered it. It was Ian Rappaport of the NFL Network. <laughs> I didn't believe it for the first second, but then quickly realized it was actually him. Turns out he comes here often because he got his first sports media gig in the town I live in, and, and uh, I guess he met his wife here first starting out. All right. He asked if there was a room available that he could use for three certain times for live hits and if I could help set them up for him. I told him yes and played it cool. When he showed up, I also played it cool again. 
Fucking, this is a cool fucking guy. Uh, I told him in a very, (laughs) dude, I told him in a very normal way how big of a fan of his work I am and helped him get set up. (laughs) I almost want to interview this guy and ask him, what is the most normal way you can tell someone that you're a fan of their stuff? Don't want to brag, but I killed it. Oh, wow. I set him up in our studio with a great backdrop and good lighting. <laughs> this is fucking hilarious. I don't even know what the question is. It was incredibly helpful getting his equipment set up, and he kept thanking me, and he was incredibly down to earth. Then we fucked. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> He'd ask me questions about getting started and all that good stuff. I made a great first impression. Not only did he thank me again via text, but asked if he could use my spot again in the future. I said, of course. I guess the advice I need is what should I do to play it cool while also maximizing this relationship as much as I can? I'm 26, been in the business for almost five years now and know it takes a while to get very high up. I understand that. It's not like I'm going to text him asking for a job, nor do I expect him to ever be able to get me a gig. Well, those are great instincts because those two (laughs) things are definitely true. I just want to make sure I'm getting the most of this lucky situation. What do you do from here on? It's actually a great email, all right? It, it is a great email for a bunch of different reasons because I remember what it was like to, to be our guy emailing in here because here's what happens. Whether you want to get started in the business or you're just kind of getting started in the business, you're hoping every single contact, like, and it is about the contacts, but what's incredibly disappointing is almost none of them can do anything for you, right? And that's kind of the, the big joke about having all these contacts in the industry that, that I have or that I'm a part of, uh, you know, there's might be a programming guy down the road, you know, lunch here, lunch there, meet up, follow up text, all this stuff. Like I used to do a lot of that shit and it didn't really ever do anything for me. Like it, it really didn't. The only thing I did was I just tried to do a good job and, and hope it would all work itself out. Uh, I, and then, you know, obviously some of the stuff I could have done a much better job on the relationships with and decision makers and all that kind of stuff. But like my, my thing's different because at that point I've been on the air now a bunch of times and, and now I'm kind of getting distracted from what the whole email is asking here. Yeah, there's a way to play this cool. And apparently you played it cool at all three levels, man. <laughs> but I like that you already sort of know that you have to limit your expectations for whatever a text relationship would be with, with Ian Rappaport. Like, what do you want to do? All right. If you, if the thing you wanted to do more than anything else was be a reporter at NFL network, then maybe you have something here. All right. And you may, because in the beginning you're like, maybe I would do that. Or maybe I'd say that, you know, you gotta have an open mind about all the different things you'd want. Like, it's not great when you have very limited experience to be like, here's the 12 things I never want to do in the business, you know? Cause then it's like, all right, who's this guy I think he is? I remember I had one interview. Uh, I was still in my twenties. It was, uh, another shitty radio station. And they were like, would you do this? I said, yeah, would you do this? Would you do this? Would you do this? And I, I was like, I'd do all those things. And then they're like, do you have any questions for us? I go, would you be looking for me to after every baseball and basketball game to be getting live audio from inside the locker room? And they were like, and the thing it was stupid is they probably weren't even thinking about it. But since I brought it up, it made them think about it. 
so that they were like, well, yeah, that might be something we'd ask you to do. Is that a problem? And I'm like, yeah, that'd be a problem. Like, cause I'm not going to go to every single game and miss other games and then stand in the locker room to get a fucking 30 second sound bite from some guy that doesn't want to talk to me to then run on the radio show that I'm doing the next day. And it also means that that means I have to be somewhere, you know, however many hours, what, seven, eight hours after I'm actually done with the radio show. It was a bad mistake because then I was giving them doubt about my commitment to it just because I was bringing it up. And if I hadn't brought it up, then I could just say later on, if I'd gotten the job, hey, I don't want to do this, but whatever. It didn't matter. I didn't really get the job. And I ended up at ESPN pretty shortly after that. So none of, none of it mattered. So if you know that that's something that you want to do, and this is a place where Rappaport works, if you play it cool, the check-in every six months, maybe a year, maybe you give it a year. I'm serious. Like, I know that sounds crazy, but if you're texting this guy all the time, Hey, how's it going? Hey, great job on that Ravens hit, you know, and then three months <laughs> later, it's holy shit. JC Horn extension. Great call. Keep up the good work, you know, and then he'll, he'll be nice and go, oh, hey, man, great. Thanks a lot. You know, because all he's doing is texting all day. <laughs> like the other guy knows what you're doing, too. But if you were to. After. However long you felt comfortable from the text relationship and said, or you could do the preemptive thing, which again, could turn some guys off and be like, look, I know who I am right now, but down the road, NFL Network is something that I definitely would want to do. Can I, in a year from now, have you have somebody there look at a tape? All right. Or you could actually ask that a year from, from right now, right? The problem is, is that when you meet that when you're younger and you I'd meet these people and I'd be younger and I'd be naive about it and I'd think holy shit I just met this guy or oh, I just met that guy and you you follow up with them and it's not even really selfishness man a lot of it is I'm worried about my contract and there's a pretty good chance if I don't know you that well like a lot of guys aren't going to take the time to say all right hey let me go to my suits and make sure somebody and no offense but like when you're in local right now and you're in your mid-20s, national networks are not like, they're not like, wh where's the next local non-80 market guy that we can desperately put up on Sunday countdown? You know what I mean? Like, it doesn't really work that way. So, I think you already know some of these things. And I don't want to sound discouraging to anybody. I'm just trying to be entirely like realistic on how it actually works. Because you could say like, hey, I met this guy. Okay, but does... Does he have access to something you're even qualified for right now? Probably not. Um, could he down the road do you that one favor that gets you the lunch? Or, hey, I'll be in L.A. Is there anyone from NFL Network that I could spend 30 minutes with? He might be able to do that for you. But is it the right person? Or is it just somebody else who's at NFL Network that has nothing to do? And they're like, hey, cool, I'll feel important at lunch with this younger. Because I've done that, too, with people. Where it took me like a little while to go, oh, the reason this guy always wants to get together and do all these things because he, he doesn't really do anything. And when it comes down to the decision makers, this guy is in one of the decision makers. So that would be, I think, the best case scenario for you. Slow play it. Don't be overly complimentary about a bunch of shit that he doesn't really care about the compliments for just to keep the text thing going. Um, but if there comes a time and you feel comfortable and you can say, hey, because I would respect that too, like, Hey, I get how it works. I know the chances aren't great, but I'll be in LA at some point or whatever down the road, or my goal is this. 
would there ever be a chance I could even just get on a Zoom with somebody behind the scenes there to understand how the hiring process works and what they look for and what could possibly happen down the road years from now? That's how you have to kind of look at it. Um, because very rarely can the wish be granted in the way <laughs> that the person who's trying to work their way up thinks it works. And I was the person that made those mistakes and didn't understand it until I was in it. And then later on, I was like, oh, yeah, that's kind of how this works. So again, not to be discouraging, just to be realistic. I don't know if you have more to add to that. Again, I'm just trying to be, I'm just trying to be honest about how it really works. So, so Rudy. Yeah, you know, I'm, I guess I'm kind of in a position where like, you know, people hit me up and be like, hey, like, you know, I love the ringer or whatever. Like, can you, can you help out? And it's just really hard, man. Like, I don't not, I think people and obviously Ian Rapport is a way bigger deal than I am. And even for him, it's just hard. like, what are you going to do? Like, he, he's not going to stick his neck out for a guy that did some good lighting a couple of days a week. Great lighting. Like, you know, Three like, it's great light. like, I'm pumped. Like, it's awesome. You did a great job, but it doesn't mean that you're going to be like an awesome on arrow. So it's just, it's hard to really ask anything. I always feel uncomfortable about it. I try to help people when they ask, but they're really just limited in what they can do. So I think what you said is just like, you know, try to like, don't overdo it. Cause I've had people hit me up that are like, Hey, big fan of like, the Rosilla show. And then they'll just text me or DM me for, cause I respond to one DM that did DM me for like ever. And I'm, I don't even have it bad. I'm not even complaining in that way. But like, you have to kind of know like how to play and how to slow your role. And he did emphasize that he thinks he nailed it at least with Ian. So hopefully he's on the right track. But just check in periodically. Ask them maybe a couple questions about the industry. Don't do it too much, but just like stuff that makes it seem like, you know, you're really, you know, motivated and dedicated and ask him maybe if he could have a longer conversation. And then, as you said, go out to L.A., see if you can meet people at the NFL Network or just kind of keep them up to date on what you're doing, too. And if, and also spin it to like, can you ever help Ian with anything in the future? You know, always kind of ask him like, because it's just going to be it's going to be helpful and go a long way because, you know, one act of kindness or one thing that you do isn't going to be like, all right, I got to hire this guy. I got to get this guy at my company. It just doesn't work that way. Word. I mean, I would, I would stay out of the business, like media side of this. Cause I don't really know that much about, it. I just mean like regular people. When I meet a new person, friends of friends, I don't know. It's, it's my friend's cousin or something, or even just a person at the bar was like, whatever. I just, the first thing I'm wondering is like, are you going to be annoying? Not even weird. Just like, are you going to be <laughs> annoying? So like, if you, you feel like you nailed this, I, all I mean is you could totally ruin it. Even if you nailed it like three out of five times, like you could totally ruin us by being like overly overly annoying or whatever. So um, I would just say, just keep that in mind, man. I don't, I don't know what else to say about the media or whatever. I just mean like, you should probably be able to tell if you're, what you're about to send could come across as annoying. And if it's been, you know, not long enough time has passed since you've randomly checked in, I'll keep mine short and sweet. I like that you applied that to like, just general interactions <laughs> is this person going to be annoying uh because you know i think they're going to be people who listen to this be like hey that's bullshit you guys should pay it forward and do all these different things and, and i'm like yeah but you don't it's not like a million people did me favors because there weren't a million people to provide me with that favor like knowing somebody in radio didn't mean that's how i get the radio gig like i'm just you know, I, again, you also I, you, have to be you, good at your job. Yeah. Like, and here's the thing too, is the guy's what he, I think he's 26. Yeah. You know, there aren't very many 26 or even like in their late twenties, if we're talking a couple of years who are making their jump from a local market to NFL network, you know, it's, I did the NFL. I said the NFL network thing. I said, it is like, you need to know what it is that you want to do. So you know what it is that you want to yeah. ask for. Um, but yeah, if I had to place money on like Ian Rappaport being the key for you to make this massive leap forward. It's probably not going to happen. 
Yeah, you already have to be good at what you're doing. You know, yeah. You, you have if you're to, already good. Like you Ian, Ian could push you over the top, but he's not going to be the reason that you do something. You know. Yeah, maybe we have Ian Rappaport on. And be I like, would love to. Yeah. What are we like, going to hey, do? We don't really guy. care about. Yeah, we don't have any insider stuff. We'd be like, how good was this guy? Those three days he set it up. And what if Rappaport's like, you know, he was all right. Can we check the tape? Is there is there right. is there a video of that? Yeah, I think we've done plenty on this. OK, moving across the country with girlfriend having second thoughts. Uh Oh, girlfriend I met in college in 2019, but dating for about three years now. We both grew up in the Midwest and had spent our entire lives there until the summer. I was lucky enough to receive a job offer from my legitimate dream company in my dream industry back in March. One of this guy knows Rappaport. While I was extremely excited and wanted to accept the offer immediately, it would require a move to the East Coast to a city where neither of us had had any friends uh, or family. After discussing with my girlfriend, we decided to move to the East Coast together. For some additional context, she's a teacher, and since they have schools everywhere, she was confident she'd be able to get a job in our new city. We signed a lease for a one-bedroom apartment together in April, completed the move in May. Since she had already committed to teaching summer school at her previous school district, she didn't join me until about three weeks ago. For the most part, things have been going well outside of the usual adjustments, going from living alone to living with a partner. We've had a lot of fun exploring the city, and honestly, things have been going pretty well. Despite this, lately, I've been having some second thoughts about the relationship. Our relationship is very healthy. We have similar senses of humor. We virtually never fight or argue. We have a ton of fun together, and things are good in the bedroom. Whoa. Nice. All right. Yeah. Love to hear Sick, that. Dude. Always love to hear that. on the sex. Outside of the small occasional annoyances, like my girlfriend being a bit needy and overly jealous, there aren't many issues in our relationship. My hesitancy on the relationship basically stems from having cold feet. Even though things are going great, I'm worried that there are so many experiences that I'm never going to be able to have. Did we get the stats on this guy before you go into your thing? How old is he? Did I miss um, If they met in college, it's 2019. I'm, I'm guessing he's... He's right out of college. Oof. Yeah. Early mid twenties. Yeah. Um, I was in a serious relationship in high school that continued as a long distance relationship in college, which is an absolutely horrible idea that no one should ever do. Agree hard on that one. Uh, we were off again, on again, off again uh, for the back half of our relationship. And after we called things off for good during my junior year, I was only single for about three months before I met my current girlfriend and began dating. So that's the girlfriend. So he went long distance high school deal into his junior year, three month gap, and then met this girl. Now they've been together for three years. So this guy likes girlfriends. Stupid yeah. son of a bitch. All right. Looking back at it now, I really regret the initial relationship and feel that I wasted a lot of time that I can't get back. You did. And you can't. Yeah. You know what? It happens. Fast forward three years to today, and I haven't really been single since I was 16. Now as a 24-year-old, I'm worried I might be settling down too soon. For lack of a better way to define it, I never had a hoe phase. Sir, do you ever have a hoe phase? Uh, yeah, I kind of similar situation to this guy. I did a long-distance thing in college, broke up junior year, and then basically didn't really settle down until I got married. <laughs> so, so yeah, there you go. Highly right. recommend. 10 out of 10. <laughs> Whoa. <laughs> Lately, I've been feeling a bit restless, a feeling that is amplified since I live in a city that seems to be overflowing with gorgeous women. Seriously, I can't even walk to the grocery store without seeing multiple jaw-dropping women. Since you uh, all yeah. experienced more, 
uh, and further along in life than myself, I'd love to hear your thoughts on what I should do. I really love my girlfriend. I love her family and all of our mutual friends. And until recently, I was op- really optimistic about our future life together. I'm just concerned that these feelings would continue to nag at me if nothing changes. If they do continue, not only would I continue to be bothered by them, I feel guilty harbor- uh, harboring these feelings while seemingly in a loving relationship where everything is going great from my girlfriend's perspective. Not fair to anyone. What do you think I should do? Also, if things do progress to the point where I want to break up, how do I go about considering our circumstances? This fucking guy, he's asking about it. He's not even sure what he wants to do. He's like, but if I do break up, we move 10, hour for, 10 hours from our families. Any serious friends that live together uh, with a lease that expires in May, don't worry about your fucking lease right now. All right, let's, let's yeah. back up. Let's back up too. So it sounds like our buddy here, it's the first time wherever you went, you grew up wherever you went to college where you're like, whoa, there's a whole new world out there. Yeah. All right. And it's very natural, I think, to feel that way. Um, but like in every relationship, I kind of wonder where you're at. We didn't get any stats. This is the kind of time I want to know whether or not the guy thought he was hot or not. Right. I actually do want to know this stuff. <laughs> Are you at least six? I want to know how <laughs> right. Like how hot is your girl? Yeah, if you're five eight. Call the lease department and say you want to extend. (laughs) (laughs) So, uh, because every relationship, one of the, one of the people in the relationship is like, could I do better? You know, I, I don't think there's very rarely like the relationship where both people are like, I couldn't do better. Yeah. Or both are like, I could do better. I don't know. I mean, yeah, sure, sure, fine. But I think we also understand the original point I was trying to make is there's always a little, somebody's always got a little bit more leverage in the relationship. And I don't know how to, how to like, are you a good looking guy who now is getting attention because you're an entirely new market and you've never felt this before? And again, it's very understandable that you start going like, hey, but here's where I would tell you as the older guy, maybe you did find your person. You've not said one negative thing about your girlfriend the entire fucking email. Everything seems to be working out. The personality, best friend vibes, the family, the friend deal, all that stuff. Although I'm telling you, as you get older and that friend group, like staying in a relationship because of the friend group, if you're not living even close to the friend group, none of that shit's going to matter because people are going to get older. They're going to have kids. They're not going to care. When Marcelo calls on a Saturday, be like, hey, what are you guys up to? Do you remember that time when? It's going to be like, dude, I have three kids. We're going to practice you know, people are going to be making new memories. They're not going to care about yours. So, wow. Um, yeah, I don't think that you're making a very strong argument for blowing this up. Other than it sounds like you just want to hook up with new girls in a city because you've never done it before, which could lead to a massive, massive regret a little bit later on. All right. Cause then you could think, Oh, whatever. I mean, chances are, if you're good looking, you're going to meet somebody else anyway. Right. Um, but but I don't know. So I'm wondering, is it that you think you can do better than your girlfriend? Which is maybe shitty to say out loud, but people say it inwardly. Um, I, I mean, I know exactly what you're going through. I know exactly what you're saying. But you're not making a very good argument about breaking up. So I'm not going to answer like, what do I do about the lease and all this different shit? I, I mean, come on. Because that part where you're like, and if I do do this. How would you handle the lease? It makes me think you're definitely going to fuck up. You're definitely going to do something. And yeah, I, you know, I don't know. But like the, the most egotistical breakup ever is like, hey, I'm starting to think about 
other people. And I know I moved you here and I'm sorry. So I, I don't want you to be depressed, but I'd like you to move out. Cause that's like so egotistical as if like, Oh, you're so amazing that I would be so devastated by this entire thing. So I'm just, I, you know, it kind of feels like you're going through puberty here in your early twenties is kind of what it sounds like. And, uh, I don't, I don't think you're going to be mature enough to like listen to me in an email or listen. I don't think it's going to happen for you right now. We're like, hey, Ryan made a ton of great points. I maybe already have my person. I want to grow with this person and go through these experiences and share these experiences, make these memories together. And it's going to be amazing because the other stuff isn't as rewarding. When you're in your 20s and you're sleeping around, you're like, oh, I'm the fucking man. Like, who's who's in town? This guy's in town. I'm going to buy some more fucking vests. It's on you know, I'm going to get a different haircut. Well, you guys want to go there for a weekend? Oh, fucking killer, dude. Killer. And then you get older and you're like, eh, stranger. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so um, I would I would just say that, I, you know, I, I don't I don't know that you can. You're probably going to fuck this up, but you haven't made a you haven't made <laughs> one good point about wanting to break up with your girlfriend other than it sounds like you just it's the first time you've ever seen multiple attractive women in a city because you haven't lived in a place like whatever place you live in because he left that part out which is good yeah it sounds like the reason this is even happening is because you didn't have the stones to break up with your high school girlfriend i think that's what apps like you wouldn't you wouldn't even be worried about this shit if that was the case you'd be like all right because i feel like you might be the guy who's afraid be like this is moving we've already moved like cross country now and we're like she's got a big girl job i got a big boy job like this is like we're moving towards like you know possibly getting married and then pretty much having to stay together or whatever so i feel like you might be worried that i'm gonna be the guy that has slept with four women in his entire life and that's totally fine that's the one thing you need to realize is that is totally fine um i think that you could you what you're doing now is just mimicking going to college and not, and breaking up with your girlfriend but you didn't do that and now the stakes are way high because she moved all the way across the country so i think i think you probably thought long and hard about what this was going to mean before you were like do you want to come with me right because that's the moment where everyone who doesn't break up with their college, with their high school girlfriend thinks about it thinks about doing that so you definitely had the thought and you decided against it so and i know sometimes it can be hard when you're out and there's just like women all around it's like yeah just because you think they're cute doesn't mean that they're like already going to be like, oh man, I was waiting for this guy to come talk to me. Like, that's not how it's going to work out. So Midwest Dave, he's, he's <laughs> finally, he came here. He's on the East, he's on the East Coast. Right. So don't think about like, it, I know it's hard to think about when you're like out in public, like, man, wish I could just talk to her right now or whatever. It's like most women are going to find that creepy if you're just, if you go up to them in that sort of situation anyway. So I guess what I'm saying is it's not going to be your fix to everything. And I think you really did think about this with clearer heads um, before you actually asked her to come with you because that was your out to be like, I, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. And then I'm never going to see you again. That was your out, but you didn't take that. So I think that you, you're like a, a probably a smart guy who had those thoughts already. So I just mean that I think you probably made your choice already. And and it's okay if you guys end up like moving forwards and you're, you know, you've only ever slept with four or five women because it sounds like you didn't have that much time to get into some <laughs> chicanery anyway between your two the way, girlfriends. The way Kyle says it, where he's like, no, it's okay. It's okay. Like, I don't know if I truly believe that you think it's okay. It, <laughs> you're like, I, hey, no, if, you go, if, you're that, if you're that guy that's only slept with four girls, it's okay. It's okay. But I'm just saying people I don't know, I don't that are I res believe you. respectable people do it. I could see why you'd be a little <laughs> bit worried. Like, oh, my life is over and I've only slept with, I don't even know. Maybe it was two. Maybe you, 
Maybe you had a bad stretch between meeting girlfriends and you jumped to the next one. I don't know. One of my best friends well, got married. He slept with one girl his whole life and he's so happy with it. But I could see why you'd be a little freaked out. But I think that you just thought about this way before you asked her to come with you. And now that she's here, you're having other thoughts. So, yeah. you know, I don't know, jerk off or something. You'll be all right. Whoa. You'd be surprised how much how much shit you don't do if you just wait until you do that. Uh, I w- well, honestly, I'd, I'd advocate that before breaking up with her immediately. Um, I think you guys hit the nail on the head both times, though. Kyle, I'll take your point a little bit further. You have to be honest with yourself. Are you good at going out? So you're in a new city and a different coast and you're going to break up with your girlfriend and be like this fucking Casanova. Like, are you good at that? Do you because because in theory, you can go, oh, yeah, this is going to be great. As Kyle said, all these girls are going to be interested in me. I have a good job. I'm single, newly single. But that doesn't mean that you're just going to be slaying every single weekend. Like there's going to be dry <laughs> spells. Are you going to be ready for that? Because everybody that, that is in this situation thinks that they're just going to kill it because there's a bunch of hot girls walking around. And it doesn't work that way. Doesn't um, work that so, way. So when it's really when it isn't going well, are you going to like cry yourself to sleep tonight thinking that you made the wrong decision? And the answer might be yes, because it doesn't sound like the girl that you're currently dating is that bad. <laughs> like she actually sounds like she's pretty great. So I would say, obviously, you have to do whatever makes you happy. And if you think what's going to make you happy in the long run is having your, you know, your your thought out phase where you're just kind of like hoeing out around town. But if you're really going to regret and you think this girl is, is pretty cool and it seems like she is for, by all accounts, um, you know, be prepared to like have that be a pretty big regret in your life going forward if it doesn't work out. And let's hope she doesn't have brothers that listen to this podcast and are piecing it all together going, wait a minute. Uh, <laughs> Here's the deal. Every married guy that's listening to this is like, no shit, guys. Like, oh, no yeah. shit. <laughs> but the married guy decided at some point he wanted to have a different life. He wanted to have different memories. He prioritized a family. Now, granted, I think there's some people that just go, I don't know, I wasn't getting any hotter. And I was like getting close to 30. And <laughs> I had to do the best I yeah. could at that time. You know, so, so I think yeah. people get investment. married. Right. People get married for a bunch of different reasons. But I think there's a there's a general part of it of like guys going, yeah, no kidding. Like, you don't think the the one time I get attention from some younger girl at the gym that I'm kind of like, oh, man, like, of course, of course. But that also speaks to the maturity of like processing through that, not doing the wrong thing and prioritizing what it is that you have at home, because ultimately that's going to be more important, even if this fleeting moment it was way more pleasurable. Uh, you don't seem and I don't mean this as a knock. I don't think you're mature enough in the relationship to think of the relationship that way. Like you want to get out there. You mentioned that you already like being alone before she got there. You're walking around with your head on a swivel and you're freaking out. Cerny makes a great point. Just because you're single, it doesn't mean that all of a sudden it's boy band ass time though either. Um, but then when you end it with like, how would I handle breaking the, you know, how do I tell her to move out and all that kind of stuff? We all know what you're going to do, dude. But we just tried to give you as much warning as you possibly could. Yeah. All right, there you go. Good luck. That's life advice. Uh, thanks Rudy and Kyle as always uh, we got Julian Edelman for Thursday uh, I guess Big Cat will be next week I keep pushing that one back tough kind of book tough kind of book actually it's all on me I didn't remind him for this week so uh, that's the plan ready to go college football NFL we've got an awesome NFL plan too with our back to back Monday guests so something different that we're going to be doing this year so please subscribe Ryan Russillo Podcast Rangers Spotify.
This episode is brought to you by 20th Century Studios' Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes. As a ruthless king builds his empire at the expense of the remaining human race, a young ape will fight for the future of apes and humans alike. Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes, enter the kingdom in IMAX on May 10th and in theaters everywhere. Get tickets now. 